Welcome to the Marketing Automation Discussion. Today we talk to Vuk from Lemlist. Vuk is the head of growth at Lemlist, a cold outreach automation tool that helps companies automate email to start conversations and get replies. We discuss the four steps to building a cold email outreach campaign from scratch, including how to research and organize your audience, what to have in place to maximize deliverability, where and how to find emails of your prospects, and what to write in your copy and how to follow up. This is a pretty detailed interview, so be sure to check the show notes for all the resources mentioned. All right. Hi, Vuk. How are you doing? Hey, man. Not so bad. What about you? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for chatting with us today. Just to get us started, do you mind giving us a quick background about yourself, the origin story, if you will? Yeah, of course. So internationally accepted nickname Vuk. I tend to <laughs> underline that. But yeah, I, I work as a head of growth at Lamlist. Lamlist being a outreach and a multi-channel outbound. We recently hit an important milestone, which is in back in October, we crossed a 10 million ARR. Fully bootstrapped. Uh, thank you. Thank you. We're really, really happy about that one. And now we're running towards 100 in the next few years. And I'm happy to say that I was the first employee in Lamlist and I've been here for quite some time. And in general, in marketing, I've been for around seven, working for different startups and uh, and an agency at the beginning of my career. It's been a hell of a journey. Like I think marketing is a, is a passion I discovered. I betrayed my first passion back in my high school days due to parties, which was basketball. But then I figured out that I enjoy writing. I enjoy telling stories. And I was always fascinated with things like, how did an iPhone become the most popular smartphone? And I haven't seen a single ad from Apple, or how did uh, Starbucks cups enjoy such great user-generated content? And uh, let's let's find out if I can create a brand that's also profitable and to that to that scale, right? So this was the this is how I entered, and this is where I am today. Yeah, so cool. To give us a bit of context, I'd love to talk more about cold email, how to get this mm-hmm. set up properly. Obviously, you guys know a lot about this particular mm-hmm. thing. But before we even get into that, question is for people listening who are not that across cold email automation. Why do this in the first place? I think it can be summed up in one sentence because you're one message away from three dots. So you're one message away from your next customer. You're one message away from having a meeting with somebody you respect and you want to know more from. You're one message away from a good content collaboration. And everybody has a LinkedIn. A lot of people and even more people are getting a TikTok, but everybody has an email. And it doesn't cost a lot. doesn't require, I don't know, like inventing the wheel. It requires just your good research and uh, the ability to approach another human being as a human. And uh, it's a great way to get in touch with anybody you like. So I think that that says it all, in, in my mind at least. Totally. And on the flip side, when shouldn't you really be that invested in automating your cold out? I honestly don't think I, f- I can find a, a reason, like an answer to that question, just because I, I think it, it, it probably depends on different businesses and different industries. I think B2C is not as enthusiastic about email because you're not going to, I'm not going to send you an email. Hey, I, I got this great new microphone you can buy or a great new t-shirt. 
So maybe they are not as thrilled about it as, as we are. But I think there's always a case that email as a channel can be used. They use emails in different ways. It's not outreach. Another thing that I would say is you always want to personalize outreach more than you want to automate it, right? Because automating the boring stuff is great. So you can have more time for the things that matter, such as making sure you have a legitimate interest for approaching somebody and doing it in a personalized and relevant way. You don't want to automate for the sake of automating and just, you know, click a button, reach thousands of people and, you know, see confetti and enjoy success. It's not going to work that way. So that's my two cents. I think you literally see confetti when you use Limlist when you start a campaign. Is that right? Yeah, there's a funny and I guess engaging copy. We we kind of wanted to make the product human as well in that sense. And yeah. it's good to see confetti when you do something good. Yeah, very cool. It's a little bit similar to MailChimp in that they had the the chimp finger on the button just before you confirm the campaign. That was one of the coolest things in MailChimp for sure. Definitely agree. Cool. So in terms of laying the foundations of getting your automated outreach in order, what are some of the things you need to have in place first? I think with every project, and it will sound like a cliche, you have to make this thought in your mind that this is going to be successful and I'm going to be successful no matter how long it takes, because inevitably you have to go through more so some like you know a few mistakes you will make. Not everything will work the way you imagine. So I think it's it's a decision you make in mind. Like it's just gonna work. It's just a matter of time. And then once you have that sorted out, I think then we come to the to the game plan. I think number one is understanding the what I said before that it's not gonna be about automating. It's not gonna be about you copy pasting a template that worked for somebody else. It's not gonna be about having like a silver bullet that's gonna help you grow your business in a week. Anybody who says it will, I honestly don't trust them. So I think it's just uh, understanding there are different things that you need to do. Number one is having done your research in the right way. And 51% of success in my mind when it comes to outreach belongs to research. Like how well do you know your audience? Are they qualified? Do you understand what are the buying signals that you can leverage? So I can give you an example, like if I want to send landlines to somebody, there are a couple of things I can do in my research. So I go to the SaaS communities where startups and entrepreneurs are and understand their pain points. And then I can use that pain point to tell me whether this is the right person to reach out to and how I'm going to write this copy. On the other hand, like I can visit a, a job ad of a company who's hiring more SDRs or who's hiring a new VP of sales. And I can make an assumption that the new VP of sales will probably implement some new processes in that company or that hiring more SDRs means that they're investing in sales and that they need an outbound tool. And the job ad will tell me, you know, the goal of the company, where they're headed. And if I combine it with a little bit of research on LinkedIn, for example, I can gather the necessary intel to tell me, yes, this is the right person to, to go to. And this is how I want to write my copy. And then you have like the, the tough part of the job is done. But most of the people feel like research is boring. You know, it's just let me see one of the posts on LinkedIn and just, hey, you wrote a great post about I don't know what. And it's the thing is, it's like fake flattery. It's like approaching somebody at the bar and having like a comment about something. It, 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 you don't mean it really. I think you have to mean it. And the more people feel like it's a conversation, because the goal you want to achieve is I want to get a reply. I want to start a conversation. I don't want to sell at the first point of contact, right? So that's step number one. Step number two is having your email vulnerability maximized, which I guess it's a topic we can discuss later. But uh, email vulnerability being the ability of your email to land in the primary tab and not go to the spam or promotions. 
And there are different techniques that you want to do to protect your domain and to ensure that your emails are actually being opened and read and eventually. So you want to have that always in a, in a good check and finding emails, obviously, of, of, of your prospects, but getting their professional email address, not their personal ones, super important. And then finally, you come to the most, I guess, exciting stuff for, for everybody, which is writing an email. Like, what's my subject line? How do I do my icebreaker? How do I personalize my intro line? How do I transition to, am I going to use some cool personalized images? And the thing with this copy is making it personalized and relevant. You need to have those two boxes ticked because it needs to be relevant and it needs to be, you know, the prospect needs to feel like you can, you understand them. They need to relate to what you're saying. You need to build some credibility in their eyes and you, you want to make them feel like I want to reply and find out more. And then later comes the selling part. So I would say those are, those are the steps you want to do along with some follow-ups because inevitably when a person doesn't reply, it doesn't mean that they are not interested. Like, you know, sometimes we're busy. Sometimes we read the email at the wrong you know, time of the day. So having a good follow-up strategy and having a few follow-ups is also a good, uh, good way to boost that reply rate. So we have a lot to unpack here. If we go back to the research stage, you said that was the first step. If I'm understanding it correctly, what you're really looking to do here is validate the target of the email. So target would be you know, the position or the persona, if you will, and also the psychology of the things that that person is interested in. Is that right? Exactly. And one thing that I would add is just, is what you're offering solving what the pain that they're feeling or the challenge they're facing? That's what it's called in GDPR, like a legitimate interest, but meaning like if, if you can't sell the unsellable, like uh, that's why like if you, if you just buy a list and don't qualify audience, you're sending something to people who maybe don't need it and you haven't even checked it. So the reason why you want to do that are all the things you said, plus you want to figure out how do you add value to that person, especially in the SaaS world? Like if I'm going to sell you Lamlist, you need to be able to you know, grow your business by using Lamlist and you need to do this over a period of time as any SaaS. So you win and then we win as a company. And uh, figuring out all those things, you can only do with, with a solid research. And research doesn't have to last for hours and days and, and weeks, but it can't last five minutes either. Got it. Makes sense. In terms of doing the research think the easiest tool off the top of my head would be something like Sales Navigator or looking around in Slack groups. But did you have any other tips on where people could go to find out more information about their targets or their psychology? Yeah, I think Sales Navigator for sure. And even free LinkedIn search is solid, not as powerful as, as the Navigator, but still really good, especially for B2B. And I think like your, audi your audience and your industry will dictate where you go. So for us, like I said, the communities are great. Uh, Facebook is about communities and groups. So every group has that internal search filter. So you can go to, say, SaaS growth hacks, or whatever community you like that's you know, relevant to your people and just search things. So I can search like cold email, email outreach, email deliverability, and then I can filter and range different posts of the members and I can qualify them. Their engagement on social media, whatever the social media is, can tell you a lot of things. And I think things like buying signals. So if a company rates some money, you can set up Google alerts if you want. Basic stuff, like it's, it's uh, free to do. Or you can just do a little bit of researching on the search engines themselves. Or if you need uh, inspiration for the copy and not particular prospect, you can always go to things like, I don't know, on top of my mind, like Reddit, for instance. 
and you can understand what are the problems, you know, typical problems of the audience. You might not have a specific detail on, on one prospect, but you can have on a segment. And then that will help you create, create a compelling copy. But in any case, LinkedIn and any social media communities, those are always good resources. And of course, company websites, like I said, their job ads. I think job ads is uh, underrated stuff, you know, like job ads, it's only used for people to apply. But the job ad will tell you a lot of things. And many, many companies, especially startups, are trying to differentiate themselves in their job ads. They're being more transparent about things to attract uh, the audience because there's a lot of supply when it comes to jobs. So a job ad can reveal a lot of, a lot of interesting things. Yeah, it definitely makes a lot of sense. The job ads, if you have to write a lot of them, all of a sudden you start wanting to get cut to the chase really quickly in terms of what problems you're trying to solve and, and what's on your mind. Yeah, exactly. And even if, you know, if you're going to approach, I don't know, we were building our uh, webinars and inviting sales and uh, growth experts. So you're going to listen to the podcast they did in the past and you can leverage that as well to create a cool personalized invitation. So anything they did online and uh, it, it can be leveraged to personalize that copy and to send an email that you're going to get a reply from. Yeah, fantastic. Cool. So the second step was making sure that you had everything in place to ensure deliverability. I think this is a, a temptation for people to sort of switch off at this point because deliverability is often very painful. <laughs> Did you have any tips here or, or suggestions for things that people had to really get in place and make sure we're all correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I can later I can send you the link. I had like this step-by-step -step guide, like an article that anybody can leverage whatever the tool they're using. But being a person who did everything with email, honestly, like from burning my domain, from getting blacklisted in the past, now taking uh, good care of my email vulnerability, I think gives me enough credibility, if you will, to speak about this topic. And I feel like email vulnerability is uh, technical and uh, can be a bit complex depending on where you're at. So I think the, the number one step is always to audit your current situation. So where are you at right now? And there are tools that can help you give that. One of such things can be the warm-up stuff. So as you know, the, the email warm-up is the process of getting your email domain ready to send outreach campaigns. Okay, and so Lamlist has, which is in, in full transparency, the first tool ever built for this. And there are plenty of other tools that, that we built in the meantime. And in any case, the, the thing here is like you can, you can take it as an analogy from athlete. Like they warm up before a game, so their muscles are in the... You know, in a good form uh, for a training or a game. It's the same thing for the email. And uh, you need to warm it up so you can get it ready to send campaigns. And then an interesting thing that some people do is once they warm it up, they stop it. And you don't want to do that because it's the, again, it's the same thing, analogy from a sporting world. Like it's like going to the gym and getting your body in the right shape and then you stop and the muscles will go away. They won't stay. It's just not the way it works. It would be great that it works, but it don't. It doesn't. Keeping your warm-up on forever, just adapting the strategy, is something that will keep your email vulnerability maximized. But besides warm-up, you also want to avoid some basic things like you don't want to buy a domain before checking the history of the domain first. If that domain exchanged, uh, was exchanged by a few spammers and you buy something, you die. It's just uh, there's, no, there's no going back from that one. And things like if you work in a big team versus working in a small team, there's a decision whether we want to have a separate domain for outreach and not, you know, get our primary domain, our main domain in trouble. And it's a good idea to have a second domain for, for outreach in general. We have it. As soon as we start hiring more salespeople and uh, more marketing people, 
it just it's very very difficult to have one domain and the amount of emails and the everything involved you just you just want to have this extra layer of security so my suggestion would be have like a separate domain but do, do it right like create a domain that's connected do the redirect so that when people type i don't know lamless.co it will go to lamless.com things like that so you don't lose people because you know, they think your second domain is fishy or spammy and the third component that that's really important is the amount of emails that you send and the tool that you decide to use for a job like there's a in the email world there's like a concept of email marketing and the concept of email outreach and the same way you never want to use lamlist to send your newsletter you never want to use mailchimp to send outreach campaigns and both tools tell you that in their you know in their, in their copy on their demos so choosing the right tool for the job is because sending algorithms are different. Like Lamlist, for example, the unique thing about that algorithm is it sends emails one after the other and never as a blast, which is something that email providers don't want to see with cold emails. And another thing is the, the fact that this algorithm gives you your own, I mean, this tool gives you your own server, so you don't share a server with anybody else and you and you alone are responsible for maintaining a clean reputation. And then finally, I would say the amount of emails that you send. Like I always encourage people not to send more than 200 emails per campaign a week. And some, some people I met in the past said, like, that's too little, like uh, 200 emails. It's better to send uh, 2,000 emails and get 10% reply rate here than 10% reply rate in 200. But the fact that you're sending 200 emails a week gives you enough time to do the research right and to personalize the email in the right way. So at the end of the day, the goal is not to send as many emails, you know, be the fastest to send them, but to be the one who gets the biggest reply and the biggest conversion rate at the end of the day. In my outreach game and outreach game of my colleagues and a lot of Lamest users, it's much better idea to send less but convert more than the other way around. So those aspects of email vulnerability are things you have to consider. You also have some additional stuff that I'll send you this in the article, like custom tracking domain, measuring opens and clicks in the right way. And uh, there's an interesting graph that a user shared on Twitter once. So before and after sending a custom tracking domain. Without it, a lot of emails went to spam. From the day the person changed it, because everything else was more or less in order, the situation completely changed. And Lamborn gives you these reports to see where your emails are ending, and emails started going to the primary tab. So... It's just something you have to go through for me to stop talking on this, but you just have to do the technical things right. You want to have your car legit so you can get from from point A to B and not uh, land on A2. You talked about warming up your inbox with a yeah. tool like Lemlist or any of the other tools that came after. What would be the alternative? Just, just hypothetically, if you weren't to use a tool, would you be looking at you know, sending X number a day for a certain period and you have to sit there and pray that you're not ending up in spam or what would be the alternative here? Yeah, I mean, not warming it up, especially if you have a young email domain that's recently being, recently was built, you will have a tough time having first and foremost people receiving your emails in the primary tab and ultimately, you know, replying to it and all that. The alternative, if you don't want to use a tool, you can do it manually. So from the 200 emails you send, you should get 50 replies. And it's important for people you send to reply, for, for you to get a reply from them, maintain those conversational threads and all that. So you can do it manually. But that's one of the things you can automate because it doesn't make sense to waste your time. Time is a resource that we all have and it's uh, super, super limited. So why not automate that thing? But you have to choose a reliable tool to do that for you. 
So it does it in the right way, doesn't piss off the email providers, and more importantly, gets you where you need to go, which is an, an optimized email. So I would strongly recommend using Lamvorm, obviously, but a warm-up tool in general. It just makes sense. And in terms of separating the domains, is it the case that you can use a subdomain of your major domain? So for example, replies or team.yourdomain.com, or would you have to use an, a full separate domain? I would use a separate domain because the, the subdomain would look funky, you know, and the subdomains are connected to the primary domains at the end of the game. So you just... Uh, no difference. Yeah. I mean, who's to say, because I haven't seen the algorithm, uh, but I'm pretty sure it impacts your primary domain. So for, for instance, we, we, the marketing team at Landlist has a couple of domains. So we have one dedicated domain for the newsletter. We have one dedicated domain for product marketing. We have our primary domain and we have our outreach domain that we share with the sales team. And all are pretty similar. All have Lamlist in their names and everything redirects back to the homepage. So I would say a separate domain, the name should be pretty much same. You know, don't don't just change the domain extension or something like this. If it's a newsletter, we use it like lamlist-news.com. And if you type lamlistnews.com, you'll go to the, to the lamlist.com. So a second domain is just... Standard practice, and it makes sense. And for the amount of emails you send, you mentioned 200 per week, or was that per day? Per week. Per week. Yeah. That's a lot less than a lot of people would. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know, I know, I know. I mean, you can you can increase it. I'm not saying that if you send like a 500 a week, it, it can't work. It can, but the truth be told, the more you send, the less time you, you have to, to make it really good. Like there are situations, like if you have a really good list of, uh, let's say 400, which all share the common pain point and they can all be approached with a good copy and you just modify the icebreaker or maybe a custom image, it can work. It worked for me sometimes, but the best reply rates and best conversion rates were those where I was absolutely sure that research was done right. And research takes a lot of time. So sending less and converting more is a, something I would choose any given day of the of the week. And and that's only you. Like if you have five people in the sales team, it means that you'll be reaching a, a thousand people a week. And so say that you have a reply rate of 20% and conversion rate of 10%, converting a hundred users from a, from a thousand people reached. It's a benchmark that's not so easy to hit, but the only way to hit it is by adding value and sending something that's relevant to the person on the other side. Got it. That ties in well with the next step, which is to actually program and send the emails. In terms of formulating the copy, so you mentioned 200 and you would have the copy, would you break that 200 into, say, four tests of 50? Or would it be 200 per week and then you would review at the end of the week and then another 200? I guess it depends on the depends on the flow of, of every team. Like you can send, uh, you know, split the 200 across five days, if you're sending only during the workdays, depending on your time and other tasks, maybe you split, maybe you do a thousand people, you research everything and it's good, and then you start sending. Like I would probably go for sending as getting to the sending part as fast as possible in a sense of not waiting to finish a lot of people and then start sending. Like I would start sending a batch or two early on, but you can program it the way it fits your work and other projects and uh, that's no issue. Just the important thing to have is in mind is the total amount of emails you send in the time frame. Everything else, it's more up to you to, to set the way you want. Some people listening will be doing a lot of ABM. Would you recommend split target account 
into the multiple emails and sending some of those in your initial tests and saving the rest of those contacts for a later date? Or do you find it more effective to test them all in one batch? So for example, if you have company A has uh, five emails that you could contact that are that are on, on target, and then company B has another five emails, so you actually test your first batch of your campaign to only two people in company A and two people in company B, rather than sending it to only company A first? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think it depends. Like we did uh, an interesting conversation with uh, one guest at the webinars whose who's, uh, target audience is usually like bigger enterprises with long sales cycles with uh, different PPs. And I think different people do it in different ways. Like this guy, Tony, for instance, uh, what he does is he reaches all the people from one company at the same time, but he tries to be transparent about it. And if he meets a CEO of the company on a demo, he will, or somebody from his team will ask if they can go to their CMO, CFO, and just adapting the copy to each. Me personally, I think I always try to find a relevant person to contact in the company and then not send it to everybody. That's the way I've done it in the past. And uh, for Lamlist, the, the primary audience is uh, SMBs, entrepreneurs. Ed- companies can be bigger, but only if they're agile and have their like startup vibe. So for me, it made sense to go to the decision maker first and depending on you know, results adjust from there. But it's the same, I guess it's the same answer as in marketing. Sometimes what works for me, it doesn't work for you. Sometimes an unconventional marketing strategy can work perfectly for some team and for everybody else, it can't. So I think it comes down to testing. And the only thing is if you're reaching multiple people from one company, just make sure that you're not shady about it. And they that if you're sending, like I said, the message to a CFO and CMO, it's a different value prop. Makes a lot of sense. Great. So the third step was the email programming. And we talked about having 200, not as a black and white rule, but as a sort of rule of thumb in terms of how much volume to send in a week. Were there any other suggestions you had around this stage of sending emails? Yeah. So I would I would say don't spend too much time overthinking the ideal timing where to send uh, my email. There is a time that works better like sending on the Monday morning, I can see in my stats that sometimes it's not the best decision, but this data will tell you, you know? So, and another thing for that is don't let some internal debates around what's the best subject line or something like this stop you from, from sending emails. Like the idea is to let your audience tell you what works. But in terms of sending, just follow the, the limitations. If you want to go a sl- like a bit more than 200, it's fine, but use Lamborn reports or any other email availability reports to tell you and monitor your performance based on that. And uh, if you're working in a team, be careful about, you know, all the tools that can more or less facilitate this with you. But with Lamlist, you can, if a prospect receives something from one campaign, it can automatically exclude them from all the others. So you just want to sync with your team around these things. But sending and volume-wise, I think uh, this is the only thing that you have to keep in mind is picking the right tool for the job and not sending too many emails. And the last step was understanding the copy it's there's a lot of material out there on writing really good emails currently but did you have any thoughts around what is the best strategy to keep in mind or principles for writing copy that will that will get a response on email yeah yeah Uh, i mean like we said in the beginning i think research reveals a lot of stuff and the, the better the research the more fun writing the the copy is so you want to start with the subject line that like leaves them with the right expectation. So open the email and they get what you promised. 
it needs to be catchy it needs to be teasing don't make it too long keep in mind that a lot of people will maybe see it on the mobile and you don't have the unlimited uh, infrastructure there and keep in mind that the intro line is also seen sometimes in the inbox before they open the email so if your intro line is something boring and it's like you know hey i'm book i work at timeless and i wanted to tell you not gonna work and now speaking of the intro line the intro line is like the icebreaker you want to lower the prospects guard down and you want to show them that you know them and that you come in peace that you don't i guess in a selfish way talking about you the less you use i and the more you use you the better and the intro line can be many different things it can be an honest compliment it can be a comment on the recent post but it it, it has to be genuine like it, ha- it it can't be the same way on linkedin if you leave just an emoji or you just write one word it's something you did in seconds and usually it's just uh, plain, you know, it's, it's basic, it's nothing special. So if you're doing a compliment, make sure you really mean it. So if you end up talking to this person, you can back it up. If not that, you can also leverage different things. So if, if I see somebody in the community speaking about an email deliverability problem, my custom intro line can be, hey, we're members of the same community. I saw your post about email deliverability. And trust me, I had the same feeling, but let me tell you something, how I went from this to that. And then something like this, you know, you, you can play on a common reference. I had one guy, I'm a massive Inter fan, which is a football club from uh, Italy. And uh, one guy was cheering for the city rivals. And uh, he wanted to meet for a, for a talk. And one of his intro lines was around that. Just want to tell you, I, like, it can be also funny. It can be engaging. It can be a commenting on, if you don't have anything that you found that there's social activity or something like this, you can reference something recently that happened. Did they get the promotion? Did they raise money? Did uh, they achieve something cool? Was there one of their LinkedIn posts? Did they say something interesting? And you can reference something that happened in the meantime. The the only thing that you want to make is you want to make it feel genuine and you want to make it feel, how do you say, like not basic. Like it needs to feel cool. And then the, maybe the, even the the toughest part is how do you, how, how do we transition from that icebreaker to the pitch? And sometimes you can be a bit more direct in the copy, sometimes don't, but uh, it, the research will dictate. Like we can go back to the community example. If I saw that the person is having a challenge increasing their reply rate or maximizing their email vulnerability, my transition from the intro line to the pitch can be a personal story of how I you know, got blacklisted and how I fixed my email vulnerability. And then I can add, uh, which is another like uh, a small sales punch for me, a special feature of Lamas, like a personalized video thumbnail. So I can have like a cool image. I can be like for you, Benjamin, and it can be like logo of your company or something cool with the play button. So you'll eager to click and you see me like I'm a real person, which is another benefit. And then this video leads you to some uh, really cool, this like uh, thumbnail leads you to a really cool video where I give you value. So even if you decide like, I'm not going to reply to this guy, I'm not going to use Lamas, I still brought you value in this video. But if you're excited, I can tell you, okay, if you, if you want me to you know, speak more about this or I can show you everything in detail, let's book a call and discuss. Uh, so there are things that you can do. Alternatively, if you don't have that much uh, of uh, context behind their pain, you just have the, the global pain, you can position your pitch in a way to start the conversation. So it doesn't necessarily have to be let's book a demo or something like this. It can be to get them to start talking about things you have in common. So you're both figuring out outreach. So a simple, you'll be surprised that the human copy and a question like, how's outreach going? I'd be curious if we want to exchange strategies and tactics and then let them tell you something. And then based on what they tell, you can further qualify them and adjust. 
Like you don't have to go guns blazing with sales. You want to have, like I said, more you than I and get them to start talking and then just adjust from there. It sounds like there's even several categories that, that you'd be very familiar with. But it sounds like there are a lot of categories here in terms of, you know, this conversation starter or there's the director pitch. Are there any sort mm. of other styles of outreach emails that you think are very common that people should be testing? I think this is more or less the framework you can use. I think there's a specific, sometimes if you have like, you can, you can segment your list in, you know, different buckets. So bucket number one is pain A. Bucket number two is pain B. And so maybe the icebreaker, I mean, I'm always an advocate of having like an icebreaker, every single person, unique icebreaker. Just just do it. it, it it's the, the best way. I, I, I vouch for that and I can open tons of my campaigns and show you the like, comparison. But uh, the segments, if they're like small and targeted and connected, you can write a compelling copy for a segment and a lot of people can relate to that. So you can do it like this split it and have different campaigns or just have the one campaign and do it through custom tags or liquid syntax or any other feature so that you can approach them like this. But you either tell, you build credibility by telling people how you fix something that they want to fix at the moment. Another approach is you, you know, get them to talk and you know, start debate, start talking with you about things. Or you can go multi-channel, like you can combine LinkedIn with Lamlist and combine cold calling with, with your campaigns or whatever you decide, and then you can leverage your personal brand and engagement on, on a social to reach them out on different platforms. And there are companies who are doing things like uh, sending a cold email, and then if somebody clicks on a link, they cold call people and, hey, you clicked on my link, in, obviously in a more cooler way than this. And it works. It works because, you know, they were interested about specific things. And in that cold call, if you play it right and you use your first minute or two talking to person in an interesting way, it will work. So ultimately, it comes down to getting people, showing people that you understand their current situation, whatever that is. And yeah, and if, if you're using outreach for different things, like inviting guests to your podcast or wanting to put you as a guest on other podcasts, there are different then strategies you can use. Things like when we were small, podcasts were always like a big thing. So the first ever campaign that we did on that front was putting Guillaume as a founder to different podcasts back in 2019. And I was orchestrating that campaign. And the framework was Icebreaker, obviously. And then we had like why Guillaume could be an interesting guest. What's in it for the podcast host? Like mentioning that we have this like community of thousands of people that are also their target audience, that we will promote it on LinkedIn where we all already had like a decent reach. And you want to make like a win-win deal. So Maybe if you're not selling, then you're figuring out like a win-win. If you want to do a content collaboration with somebody, if you want to, if I want to go and I don't know, meet the CMO of whatever company, like let's say Ahrefs and I want to meet with Tim Solo, like I need to write a copy that's, you know, like I need to show that I'm a genuine fan and that, and that topic will be also interesting to Tim the same way it will be interesting for me. So it's like finding out those win-wins essentially. I think it's a topical question to ask as well. Any thoughts around sending people your booking links directly. Yeah, it's, it's a conversation that's taking a lot of place on, on uh, social. I think a lot of people are blasting that. And the answer is always, it's, it depends, in my opinion, at least. Like sending it to a cold prospect, it's a mistake. Nine out of 10 times, it's a mistake because it's too soon. Like you're asking before you gave something. However, if I qualified you in, my, in the community and I already know your pain, 
and maybe we had or maybe we didn't have any contact in the past, like I can wrote some story, I can have this personalized video thumbnail. And when you click on it, you go on a specific page that I built just for you. And then it can be my calendar below. And then the video, once I gave you my value, I can be like, hey, you want to discuss immobility in details, you know, talk about it, like let's book a call and, and meet. So that works. So you gave some sort of value and then you booked the call. But if you're like just asking for a meeting uh, without bringing value first, it's not going to work. So I th- the answer depends on really like what kind of value did you bring and uh, where are you in the process there? Like after bringing some value, it's like, a, you know, negotiating a new salary. It's a much better position if you negotiate your new salary with the boss and you did something really good and you come after that and you say, hey, you know, like my or your quarterly review, like your results are nice. It's the same logic. Before you mentioned the follow-up strategy, what did you have in mind here? I think it's pretty simple. You have to send follow-ups. I think it's, you can send, a, usually having like a three follow-ups, it's a good strategy. So four emails in total, that's my average, at least in my campaigns. You can go even further. If you're sending like a multi-channel campaign that consists of different channels, you're going to have much more steps, which makes sense. But uh, if we're talking pure outreach, cold email outreach, you want to have follow-ups because of the reasons we said initially, which is, Sometimes people don't reply because many of, of reasons and not that they're not interested. Just they didn't get, didn't find time to, to reply or maybe they weren't as convinced, but they're still in the market and looking for things. So you have different tactics that you can leverage for follow-ups. You want to have your delays between emails and that's all good. But in terms of the copy itself, usually it's split in two ways. You can either go for a reminder follow-up and then in the reminder follow-up, you can have what I call like power sentences. Power sentences rephrasing the value prop from the first email, but in a different way, like in a different, using different words or something and, you know, doing it like this. Or even like a funny reminder with the GIF can sometimes work. You know, I'm bumping this up, but I promise after this email I'm out. And then it can be like a, a funny meme, which is sometimes one of the last follow-ups. But on the other hand, a different strategy can be make sure that every follow-up adds a bit more value than the other one. So going back to back to our video email, you might explain this strategy without maybe showing them the video. So maybe in your follow-up, if they're not convinced in the first email, you add the video. If you're selling a course, for instance, you might be you might qualify the audience really well and in the first email they didn't reply. So in the second or third follow-up you can say, hey, I saw your recent LinkedIn post or whatever. I wanted to give you special access to one of the chapters just so you can see. I'm just giving like a example on top of my mind, but how do you like make sure that every follow-up adds a little bit more? So adds, uh, you know, one more uh, taste. So those are the two, like the second one is obviously difficult, like a bit more harder because you need to create some sort of like story and all that. But on the other hand, if you're doing like follow-up reminders, just don't repeat basic stuff. Like if you see that your first email is not working and you repeat the same stuff and the follow-up didn't work, it means that something is off. And you need to tweak something to fix it better. But sometimes it can also happen that the person will reply to the fourth email and be like, hey, I I wanted to reply, but I couldn't find, and that's done. And if nobody replies to follow-ups, connect with them on LinkedIn. Don't sell anything. Just connect with them, expose them to your content, engage on their content, build a relationship, and add a bit of multi-channel flavor to it. But to go back to the primary question, I think follow-ups are are really critical because it will ultimately, more follow-ups, it means more replies. In terms of connecting the copy that you're doing between sales and marketing teams did you have any suggestions around how they should navigate that so for example 
should you share all the copy that you plan to send to certain prospects to the sales team in a spreadsheet or something like this to let people know what's being said on their behalf? Or should the copy come from the sales team first with some guidelines? What's your suggestion? I think there are different dimensions to this question. So it depends on the way your company is organized. So for for Limelist, marketing stepped away from sales campaigns in most of the cases when sales teams were... So we most of our campaigns are more like related to marketing stuff, like connecting with people, inviting them from different projects, positioning us to different podcasts, inviting people to our stuff, things like that. Sales is more in terms of users and using outreach as a sales channel. But what I wanted to say here, I think you always... You can use Lamlist. It allows you to save templates. And I guess you can use the tool itself to save templates. If you're using a CRM, maybe you, you like allow exchange of information. People can see it. Like If you split your team that one person is doing like research, the other one cold calling, the third one cold emailing, you want to have this information synced somewhere, usually a CRM, so that notes and everything is streamlined, that everybody can you know be on top of things and see it easily without having to slack other people, ask them for something. But uh, ultimately, I feel like there shouldn't be any competition between marketing and sales in terms of like hiding templates or nonsense like that. Even though some companies may have like bonuses per person, it's always a better idea. Like that, it's that like uh, Kobe Bryant's quote, like I would wave a towel, bring a cup of water to my teammate or shoot the winning uh, three point uh, just to win. Because the ultimate idea is, is for you to win as a company, as a team. So if you can create this atmosphere, it's a much better thing. And it may you know, tick off as a, as a cliche, but it's a much better and enjoyable environment to work in. But in a sense of on the logistics side, you want to have information synced so that every person can, by opening one prospect, it can have all the information here. So if the person opened an email, replied to a LinkedIn message, replied to a cold email, or you left a note, or you're going to send another email in 30 days because uh, they're changing their budget or whatever, all that information needs to be synced and there should be a process in place. All right. So we have these four steps in place. We've gone into the program, whichever program we're using. If it's something like Lemlist from memory, you go in there and you set up a campaign, literally click create campaign. Mm. You add in your list and you add in your copy with the the variables in it so it would change for name and different parts of the the email and you launch you maybe get confetti depending on which program you're using what are the metrics you then stay on top of and how frequently should you be watching this for example daily you're checking this weekly you're checking that so i think most of the campaign you'll get uh, the data in the 24 to 48 hours we usually want to check this as soon as possible you can do things like having like a Slack webhook and for every reply you get a Slack message so you don't have to check it all the time if you want to do it this way. But in terms of data, I think what matters most is the reply rate and the conversion rate. Okay, conversion rate will come maybe after a few demos or depending how long the sales cycle for you is, but uh, reply rate is the most important. Then you have things like open rate and click rate. Considering where the industry is going, we'll see what's, what's going to happen in the in the long run. But right now, open rate is, is a good, I guess, pointer for your email deliverability. Like if your open rate is lower than 50%, the problem is frequently not in a subject line, it's in your email deliverability. It means that people are not seeing your emails. And if you're optimizing a subject line, it doesn't matter because they're not going to see the email. 
So if you have like an open rate lower than 50%, you should do an audit of your email deliverability. Make sure that everything is working properly and firing up with, with uh, landworm reports, for instance. It's like a safe double check with, uh, with the open rate. Click rate, depending on if you have clicks, we'll see. Depending on your strategy, you want to have a, a good click rate. And the, the negative side of things, like you want to have your bounce rate close to zero at all times, at least below you know, things like 5%, but the closer to zero, the better. And the only thing that to, to make sure that it stays like this is to verify emails. So you have email verification tools, always verify them, never send something that you previously didn't verify. It's just a bad idea. Bounce rate is like a needle in the back for your email vulnerability if, if you allow it to, to increase. And obviously like other metrics like, you know, like spam rate or, or things like that is something... Important, but you will see this uh, probably being zero if you do it uh, the right way. So those are those are the things. And I would say that the uh, last thing I would say is that the benchmark for reply rate. If you're sending like a broad campaign to uh, more people and you don't you didn't personalize as much as you could, you should aim for something like eight percent. And if you send campaigns to like I said two hundred people and uh, you have ultra personalization, you should aim for twenty percent. It should be there, and then the conversion rate should be around. 10%. Like a good result is every 100 emails you send, having 10 people book a demo with you is a benchmark you should be able to hit. And benchmark I would suggest like having. Yeah, fantastic. It's a great rule of thumb to really hone in on your performance. It gives it a bit of scale. Something we didn't get into earlier with the emails was sourcing the emails themselves. Did mm. you have any tips on where best to find emails and how best to do it in the clean format? Yeah, I think first, the rule is always a professional email address. So always, 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 never a personal one. But in terms of tools, I think the best way to do this is to put an email finder tool in your existing funnel and to automate this as possible. Like I, like we have this automation list with a tool called Drop Contact that helps you do this. But you can integrate many email finder tools with many email outreach tools in general. So you can do it like this. You can go old school, of course, have an extension, you know, go to their LinkedIn, grab an email, copy paste it in your spreadsheet, and then upload uh, upload your CSV file uh, if you're doing it old school. The, I guess, faster way and the, the more joyful way, let's say, more enjoyable is if you can uh, automate this, like you, you can, and there are things, uh, there are things you can do. But uh, verification of those emails is absolutely essential. And that's most of the job. Like it's something that should come should come easy. You can also do it manually. Like if you if you want to have just one person's email and you don't have like an email finder tool and uh, maybe you don't have resources to spend, like you have things like permutators, which is uh, you put the name of a person, the first name, the last name, and their domain, and the permutator will give you different variations of like you know first name at domain.com first name dot last name at domain.com and you copy paste that in your uh, google sheet or in your send to in your gmail or whatever you're using and if you hover over it if you see like a full name and a person's uh, picture it means it's a legit email and everything else can be deleted and if you figure out the pattern first name at domain.com you basically have an email from anybody in that company you just have to change the first name so you can do it manually, free, without anything, or you can use a tool and if possible, integrated with your flow, it's going to be even easier. Great stuff. Second last question just before we go. Any other tools that you recommend in this space for general email outreach? You know, I think 
Obviously, I'm going to say them list and it's not a surprise, but I think Clearout and Emailable or Bouncer are good verification tools if you want to use it. Drop contact uh, to find emails, but you also have things like Lucia, which is another another cool tool. For CRMs, I'm not that involved in C. We use Pipedrive, but that's more of a sales thing than, than marketing. And uh, I would say try to figure out your multi-channels. It's super important and super relevant and it works great for our users and, and for a lot of people. So I would say... Think about how you can include your personal brand in in outreach. And if you do, I promise you the results are really amazing. But in terms of tools, ultimately, you have a pick a tool that you enjoy using. And whatever that tool is, don't think twice. Just buy it, use it, and see the ROI. And uh, don't expect to, to for it to work in two days or in a month. Try to use it a bit properly and, uh, and see how it works for you. But in terms of like specific tools, apart from these ones I mentioned, I don't have, I, I, I have any. Last question. Any trends in the space that you're noticing? You know, what can people expect in the next 6, 12, even a couple of years from here for email outreach? That's an interesting question. I think we'll see that email deliverability will change in the short term, I believe. like you, We saw that some companies are not allowing you to track open rates the way you did before. So, for instance, this means that the warm-up tool you use will be the only safe metric for you to really know whether your emails are landing where they should or are they going to the dark places of, of email providers. So I, I believe like this is a, this is a great thing. And I, and I think in the long run with uh, all the transparency, privacy talk, like I think spammers will have even more tougher time. Anybody who enjoys taking shortcuts will have a tougher time. And the people are even more sensitive than ever. So you don't... Salesy email worked great five, six, seven years ago. You could send because people weren't thrilled to receive an email. But I think, you know, people's habits changed. So I think in outreach, if we're talking specifically for outreach, I think this is these are some changes that you can expect. And I think world is shifting towards multi-channel outreach. It's no secret. And I think how do you combine different channels you use in a, in a logical way? Awesome. Well, thank you very much for the information that you've shared so far. For people who want to learn more about you and learn more about Limlist. LinkedIn is always a great choice. I think we're all there, especially us in, in B2B. But book at limlist.com if you have any question or you want to talk outreach, it's a good idea to shoot an email. But as for as Lamless go, Lamless.com, you'll find all the information on the website. And if you want something of opportunity to weigh in on opinions with other sales and growth experts such as you or practitioners or people figuring out outreach, there's a community on Facebook called Lamless Family. It has more than 19,000 people and it's super active. And you'll find a lot of people who are in a similar shoes such as you. And there's a, most of the content is user generated and it's a great place to be. So type Limeless Family in Facebook and uh, you'll check it out or I can send you the links later on. But those would be the, my go-to places. Excellent. I will be sure to put all the links in the show notes. Otherwise, thank you so much and have a good rest of the day. Thank you for the invite. It was, uh, it was great to chat and all the best, man.